We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 245. The Yankees won two out of three down in Philly, got rid of the bad taste of the Tampa sweep. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't finish the final game. The bats really completely fell asleep. I don't think they were trying. It didn't look like they were trying. The The lineup didn't look like they were trying, to tell you the truth, in the beginning uh, of the game. So, you know, who's to say that the actual players in the lineup were trying? But they won the series. That's what matters. Getting back on that. On that good, uh, on those good vibes, winning some series, so we're good with that. Rolling into uh, into the Boston series now. I was actually really curious, um, or I, w- I was I was keeping an eye on how they would come out of that that tough weekend and see see how they would respond. And I thought they responded great on Monday and Tuesday. You kind of have to chalk up Wednesday to to like I just said, they almost weren't trying with the with the lineup they put out there with Sessa on the mound making his first start since last August, I believe. Uh, he was on a pitch limit. The bottom of the order featured Neil Walker, Kyle Higashikoa, and Luis Sessa. Boone loves giving those double off days, so it was almost like a give up game. There, there were a lot of pitchers hitting too, in probably spots that they normally wouldn't hit. It was, uh, yeah, it was definitely one of those games where it seems like you're you're resting your guys before the Boston series, giving them an extra day off, uh, just like they tried to line up their the pitching staff 
uh, you know, exactly the way they wanted it for the Boston series. That's why Sessa was pitching tonight. And, you know, they're giving their, uh, their, their position players the majority of the day off too. So yeah, Boone, uh, Boone definitely put a lot of, 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 of uh, priority, I think, in getting people some rest before this weekend. Yeah. We have a very busy show today, very busy week coming up, actually. So at uh, the back half of this show, Scott, you spoke with Chad Jennings. He writes now for The Athletic. Uh, he's been on the show a few times talking Red Sox. So we're going to preview that Red Sox series with Chad. Then, uh, obviously, for those who are coming to the June 29th event, we are looking forward to that. We sold it out. 300 people going to be in Section 205. That's going to be a ton of fun. We now know the pitching matchups. Uh, we are not getting Chris Sale, unfortunately, but um, still going to be a hell of a lot of fun. And then also, if you guys want to come to the event after that, it's July 22nd against the Mets. Yeah, that's a Sunday night. That's a Sunday night baseball against the Mets Subway Series. We're doing the pregame at the Bronx Brewery. You can get your tickets on the website. It's uh, shop.bronxpinstripes.com. If you go to bronxpinstripes.com, there's a link on there to get to it. Um, it's going to go quick. So there, there's tickets already. A lot of tickets already been sold. This one sold. Uh, this one definitely sold out. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ahead of the the game. And again, I expect these tickets to go on the secondary market well above what we're asking. So you're getting a good deal. Plus, you're getting a T-shirt. Um, definitely get in on it. Bring your bring your friends. Get your crew together. And uh, and, and yeah, we're going to continue to grow this thing. So um, I, I can't wait for a Friday night. Actually, the anticipation is uh, is starting to kick in, and uh, I'm really pumped up. We you and I just finished transferring tickets to everybody, so now everybody has their tickets, which is great. People have their T-shirts, so it's a it's a reality now. Friday night just needs to come, and we're going to get get loose in uh, 205. You said you're looking forward to Friday. How about looking forward to Thursday night, the CC Sabathia softball game? A little bit of that too. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. We got the get the invite to do some uh, some press coverage at the CC softball game. The um, pitch in, uh, they raise a lot of money for good charities. Usually, it's uh, they're going towards kids in the inner city, you know, playing games, doing all sorts of different things. Uh, they they spread the money out, um, but CC does a lot of good things, and this thing actually has. A lot of really good people. There's going to be a lot of Yankees there. Yeah, we're going to be uh, there for the red carpet event. Uh, have you ever see this? I don't think it's going to be like a normal red carpet. Like you think of red carpet for like an award show or something. This is going to be for for a softball game. So I, I don't know. If people are going to be dressed up. Uh, be interesting to see. But definitely follow us on social media. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're going to be posting pic- pictures, posting videos from the event. Uh, I am really looking forward to it. Like I said, it's going to be a very fun, very busy couple of days. Yeah, full-blown paparazzi pa- paparazzi mode tomorrow night for these guys. So As- Asking the hard-hitting questions. The big questions. The, the big <laughs> ones. Um, all right, let's get into uh, this series with the Phillies. So the Yankees seem to play their best baseball against the best teams. Uh, there was a stat that the Yankees had a 725 winning percentage entering Wednesday's game against teams above 500. That is the best in baseball since 1901. Is that a good? <laughs> That's is a, that a long ass. Is time. that a good thing? I'm, I'm thinking of like uh, the, the only when I think that far back, I just think of you know the chance we used to chant at the Red Sox the last time they won a World Series. That's that's no longer the case. So this is the uh, this is an old stat that I don't think about the early 1900s much anymore. Yeah, I don't even think there were fences on baseball fields back in 1901. So a double in the gap is a is a is a dinger. Yes. Um, but, but it just goes to, uh, it goes back to what we have talked about many times, especially towards the early parts of the season when we saw them really struggling against teams like Baltimore and Miami, but playing well against other teams, this team, I guess in a good way plays to their competition. 
Yeah, I mean, they get up. They they realize when there is a, there's an opponent in front of them that has an opportunity to potentially knock them out or take a you know a home field advantage situation away from them, and that's a good thing. Not not that it's you know the reverse of it's not a good thing. We, we don't want them playing down to the other competition. We, we don't want them being swept in Tampa or anything like that. But if they if you know if they're they take care of business, they're going to lose games. I mean, this is a long season. There's a lot of games they play. Obviously, bad things are going to happen. Ruts are going to happen, and flukes are going to happen, like it, like what we saw in Tampa. Um, but I, I think you know, as long as they're taking care of business and competing against the the big teams, like they obviously are historically, um, that's huge. That's huge, and it just kind of proves you know how this team uh, gets up for those big games. It was yeah. They were there was the first three game losing streak was the 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 loss to Tampa of the season. And you're going into Monday's game into Philly. That's the first time. What were they talking about on the broadcast that the Philly hasn't sold out three straight games right. since like since five years ago or something like this. So obviously this was a big series. This was the first time the Yankees have been back to Philly since the 09 World Series. Um, so a lot of people were up for this. The Phillies were up for this. The Phillies are fighting in their division, and the Yankees are coming out on Monday. With Jonathan Lasagna on the mound, the rookie making his third ever start. So shit could have really gone bad. It didn't, though. Loisaga stepped up. He did step up. He pitched really well. This is a guy that, that you know, had to, for his own sake, just come out and prove that, you know, the, the last start wasn't what he was. And, you know, we don't really know what he is yet. We, we're, we're kind of seeing him and taking it all in and seeing how he pitches and how he handles different situations and you know, I, I've been extremely impressed with uh, with the way that he's handled, you know, pitching in the bigs, and I, I love his fastball. I think his fastball is is phenomenal, um, and he can really pinpoint it. But the fact that he came out was as good as he was. You know, went went pretty deep with uh, with you know throwing a no hitter five innings. It's impressive to see a young kid do that on the road. Yeah, you mentioned his fastball, but I thought his fastball curveball combination was the best that we've seen it so far. He had his 12 to 6 curveball yeah. which which we did not see as much in his first two starts, but he was playing off uh, and I know David Cohn was talking about this, the same eye level. So he was throwing the fastball in the mid 90s up and then using that 12 6 curveball to to go from that same eye plane and then just drop straight down at like 83 84 miles an hour. It really was unhittable for 5 innings. Yeah, and that's so impressive that that he can make an adjustment like that, or you know the fact that he can just the 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 fact that he already has those mechanics that he can repeat and and you know like Cohen was saying stay at that same eye level and uh, you know that's something that they really don't need to teach at this point like the kid has it that's 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 not something that everybody has you know there are guys that that definitely vary um, their release point or you know where they. Uh, where, they, where they are with their front leg, their land leg uh, on certain pitches, you know, th- not things that are easily picked up by the opponent, but they're still a little different. When this kid is repeating the way he is, you know, the deception just adds to it. And then you throw in a 96, 97 mile an hour fastball on the black, because that seems like where he loves to be on the outside corners. Uh, it's, it's good stuff. It's, it's really, it's exciting to see the way he's pitching right now. And, and very effortless delivery. Yeah, Which and is, I feel like this is all just like cake, right? This is just like this is just like extra extra dessert because I don't think anybody that's a Yankees fan was expecting to see this kid in probably, you know, maybe next year. And of those people, 50% of them are lying to you because they've never heard of him. <laughs> well, the f- he did start in single A this season. Right. I mean, 
That's, that is a massive transition for, I think he's, what, what is he, 22, 23 years he's old? He's young, yeah, somewhere yeah, down there. I, and I know he had Tommy John surgery, which is a big reason why he started in Tampa this right. year. Um, and because he was on the 40-man roster is another big reason why he didn't ever go to AAA because it was just a, a roster shuffling move that the Yankees made. But we are seeing why the Yankees felt, A, that he was um, – deserving of being put on that 40-man roster, and B, why they were comfortable of, of having him make the jump from double-A to the majors. Well, and it's also, it probably speaks to, to Brian Cashman going out and talking about uh, different, different guys in his organization and inquiring about others for, for trades you know, throughout the last year and a half, two years. And I'm sure his name came up quite a bit, and they knew that if they didn't protect him at that point, he was going to get snatched up immediately. So they, yeah. they realized, because I think Brian Cashman can gauge, and, and you know the rest of the staff can gauge, when they are going out. And you know he's active. Cashman's talking to everybody all the time. Uh, so you know who is you know, a desired commodity, a desired asset on your, uh, on your roster. And I think that that just kind of proves like it wasn't just the Yankees that were looking at him and knew that he was a talent. I bet there were other teams that were inquiring about this guy. And, and you know, the 40 man was a was was a decision that they had to make. That's not an easy decision for a guy that's that low. Right. And, and what what I think we're going to see is he's going to continue to have growing pains, just like Herman has had some growing pains. But there's glimpses of of hope for what these two guys can be as starting pitchers down the line. Now, I understand that a lot of Yankee fans are saying, well, what is, how does that help us in 2018? If Loisaga or Herman's not going to be in the playoff rotation, then, then like, what's the point? Let's go out and get a starting pitcher. And, and I get all that. But in the meantime, these guys are developing and helping the team win. And that, that is still important now because I do think the Yankees are going to get a starter. I just don't, I think it's going to probably be in three or four weeks from now. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, we don't know the time frame. I mean, that's just that's something uh, totally up for speculation. And, and depending on uh, when when the market starts heating up, I, I would assume you'll see you'll see some of these starters that are that have been talked about dropping. But you know, I'm not dismissing either that one of these guys could be a major contributor down the down the um, stretch. You know, we've seen guys that, in what way though? Out of the bullpen yeah, I, or out of the rotation? You just don't know. You you don't know because because of the way that this pitching staff has has not stayed healthy. Uh, the the fact that they you know even if they were to make a trade for a, a starter at this point I mean who's to say that there's not another injury because we have guys who could you know we could fall into that category as as probably um, you know next on the list for for potentially getting hurt CC's not getting any younger as the season goes on um, you know who knows how Tanaka does come back we know he's throwing and he's 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 feeling good now but you just don't know how these things are going to happen so you know one of these whether it's Herman or Loisaga or one of, could could be thrown into a situation. Later in, or or stay in a situation late late into the season, and if they get hot, who knows? We might see them on the mound in a playoff game. I'm not I'm not dismissing that. Tanaka's been getting those hammies rubbed down. Yeah, he should be. <laughs> so so he should <laughs> he should be getting but, them rubbed down even when he feels good. What about workload issues with Herman and Loisaga? I think These guys, I think that's where it is. Right, the the, yeah. the organization has. Uh, an innings count or a pitch count or whatever, however they're limiting the arm, but they are limiting it at some point in some way. I think that's going to be a factor. Yeah, especially for Loisaga. Yes, definitely. Well, and Herman, because his innings high was last year, was I think they said tonight was like 109 innings. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that. but we saw tonight um, him come out of the bullpen, and it's not – the problem is, is that there aren't really many other options when their spot comes around again, you know? So – 
So there's going to have to be some, some something's going to have to give at some point. And I know Sessa came in and filled in a spot, so we kind of skipped the guy um, and pushed. Well, they kind of went bullpenning. Back. Yeah, they, they kind of went bullpenning tonight. They did. I mean, they they had Sessa start, but he only pitched three innings, and he was on a 75 pitch limit. Right. So it, it's they knew he wasn't going to go very deep in that game. I think four or five innings was about as good as they could have hoped from Sessa. Um, so they they had a bullpen plan tonight. Yeah, and Herman was part of that bullpen plan because. They're obviously the way that the, the schedule is working out. He's going to have to get a throw day in at some point. And I think he was ready to go or he would have been lined up for Sunday as well because their Sunday uh, starter they haven't announced officially, but it looks like it's going to be Severino. Oh, it's going to be Severino. Yeah. <laughs> if Severino's not throwing in, 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 you know, when, when Boston comes to town on that third day on Sunday night baseball, something's given. Uh, the, Isn't uh, Price wh- thrown on Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. Give, give uh, me Sevy versus Price, please. Yeah, I'm just sad that Gary Sanchez, David Price's daddy, is not going to be in the lineup. Yeah. Somebody else, uh, somebody else take the role. But say when Tanaka's back, uh, could you see them going to a Loisica Herman combination as a fifth starter? You know, I, I think at some point they're going to have to do something with, you know, to protect them for, from, uh, from the innings limit, especially if they don't go out and acquire somebody in the next you know, two weeks. If it is three to four weeks, then they're going to have to do something. But I, I, I think at that point, I don't think they'll keep uh, Loisaga on the major league roster. I think they will send him back down. Um, but again, even if he's in the minor leagues, the pitch count still is a, a factor. So I'm actually changing my mind as I'm talking. Uh, if he's throwing as well as he is, might as well get those those innings in the major leagues because you can right. use them. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So so hold on. Let me let me reverse that train of thought in the middle of the, of the thought. Scranton doesn't need another championship. <laughs> right. Exactly. Trenton actually, because that's where he came from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Monday's game was eventful, though, after Loisaga left. Robertson escaped the jam that Loisaga left in the sixth. Robertson then got into the seventh, and we see Boone go to Batances, not only with an inherited runner, but with a plan in place to go into a second inning of work. And, with a, and, have, to, and have to hit. Batances is up there, Gary Sheffield bat-wiggling, swinging like he's going to pull pull his friggin' rib cage out. That's how hard he was swinging. I was shitting my pants watching that. Yankee dugout was laughing because pitchers laughing is just a big joke anyway. Um, it worked out, I guess, kind of. I'm, I'm, I'm questioning it, scratching my head, because Batances did get into some serious trouble in the eighth inning and Chapman had to bail him out. But it wasn't as big of a disaster as I guess a lot of people expected it to be when you use Batances in those situations. I mean, this is this is something that's you know not in, not in the book. It's not in the binder. It's not on the map. It's oh, this it's, page has it's, been it's burned out of the, the binder long ago. It's not even in the history of Delon Batantis because this was his first major league at bat. So not only are we going into a second inning, which we know Delon is so good at. He's so good in that second inning, coming out of the bullpen, sitting for you know twenty minutes, thirty minutes in between, and then coming back out and trying to throw and find the the plate. He's awesome at that. But not only that, we're going to give him an at bat in between, and <laughs> and not only is he going to get an at bat, but he's going to treat it like wiffle ball in the backyard and go up there with the Gary Sheffield waggle. Because why? Because Gary Sheffield was one of his favorite players to watch hit, and that's what's <laughs> happening out there. I'm like, this is real life. Like I'm watching a major league player i'm not even gonna say hitter a player out there literally doing an impression of a former player like this is exactly what used to happen in the backyard playing wiffle ball it was crazy 
Hey, if uh, Batances had Gary Sheffield's bat speed, then I wouldn't mind. But but something tells me Chef's bat speed was a little bit better than Batances is six eight. <laughs> How is he gonna ever? Like, I was surprised that he got the bat around as fast as he did. But yes, it was a lot slower. But I'm still surprised he got it around. He looked like he was gonna completely rip his torso in half when he, the way that he was hitting. I hated every second of it. I hate I hated seeing every single pitcher hit this uh, during this series. It, there were way too many, and it, it needs to end. I can't handle it anymore. It's just, you know, it's just an injury waiting to happen. Why wasn't Dylan Batances bunting in that situation? You know, I saw you make that comment in the notes, and I'm sitting there reading that. I'm like, did you see him hit? Did you see him try to swing? You want him to bunt? That ball might hit him in the face. He might, he <laughs> might lean over the plate too much, and that ball might hit him in the face. He might foul the ball off into his face if it hits the bat. I don't want him anywhere near that ball. I want him standing in the box, in the back of the box, on the outside corner of the box, and standing there. Don't swing. Take some pitches. That's okay, it. Okay, it's a runner on third base with one out. Right. The, the chances of him hitting a deep fly ball are 0%, and as the, we saw. The chance of him putting any kind of a bunt down are 0% also. 0.1%, but it's still a better percentage than him what try, is the bunt driving What does the bunt do? Around. So then you want him you know, sprinting you do a safety, down. You do a safety squeeze a or something. A safety no. squeeze with the pitcher up? You want him running down first base then, too? No, running. He, he, once, he, once he bunts it, all he has to do is jog 40 feet and end it. Look, there's nothing good that's going to happen with him swinging or bunting. And So uh, fine, then just let him take three strikes. Yes. But, but that needs to be an instruction going forward for all remaining National League games is don't hurt yourself, so just take three strikes down the middle. We don't care. We will move on. But that's not the mentality. That's obviously not what. No, what they're Bruno's all up there them. trying to hit a ball 400 feet like they're Giancarlo Stanton in batting practice. I know, and it's and it's become like an internal like laughing stock as well. So they're all like joking about it, like it's a it's a fun time. And I get it. Like if you're on the field, that's probably a lot of fun. You're laughing at your boy. Your boy knows he's going to look like an idiot, so he's going up there and just trying to be Gary Sheffield, which is ludicrous. But you know he knows he's not going to hit the ball. They're not thinking about injuries. The fact that the coaching staff is letting this happen to me is where. It needs to stop. Like the players are going to be players. They're going to go out there and do these things. That's fine. It is what it is. But the coaching staff should be saying, um, "Take some pitches. Don't hurt yourself. We got. We finally got you right. Now I'm going to throw you out in a second inning. Please don't swing the bat." But nobody's telling him that. And we haven't even seen Cece get in that bat. And we know he loves to hit. He swings like he's Babe Ruth up there. I want to see CC hit. That's the only pitcher I want to see hit. Okay, you, you mentioned two minutes ago that Sabathia could go down with an injury at any second. Yeah, you but CC could hit. You want him to take oh, some rips yeah, yeah, up yeah. there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's oh, a vet. Boy. He's an old vet. He's got it. Uh, We're going to be watching him hit softballs. <laughs> That's true. Does he hit one out? That'll be the, the main question. Yeah, I actually did hear when they were interviewing him about the game, he did mention that they're not going to be hitting in the game. And I don't think Stanton's going to be hitting in the game either. So seems like those were specific instructions. So here's the question now. Or it the, might just be unfair. Or, well, no, because there's <laughs> other guys in there that, that can hit as well. But the Yankees won't let him swing at a softball, and, and, or, nor Junior Carlos Stanton swing at a softball in a charity event. But they'll let Dylan Batances go up there and hit a major league pitcher. Okay, makes sense. <laughs> it, didn't, it did not come back to bite him in the ass. The Yankees got the win. And then Severino comes out. He dooted up on Tuesday just when the Yankees needed him to dude up because there were a lot of dudes that pitched in the bullpen the night before and a lot of dudes that were going to have to pitch in the bullpen on Wednesday. So what does Severino do? Goes out there, seven innings, no runs, nine strikeouts, no walks, lowers his ERA to 2.10. 
and the Yankees improve to 15 and two when Severino is on the mound. I mean, that's that's your uh, that's your boy, right? That's your Madison Bumgardner ace. Typical. Yes, that is absolute. Ace. You know, ace material. N- nobody nobody could dispute the fact that this guy is a horse, an ace of this team. I mean, it, you know, it's just so obvious now that he's taking this role and really relishing it as well because I feel like I'm. I'm repeating myself, but it's just to me, it, it seems like it ticks up every single time he takes the, the ball, the confidence on this kid and the, ease. the bulldog. Didn't we call him a bulldog? Like the bulldog mentality. Just he's, give me the ball. I'm working quickly. Absolutely. Give me the ball. And he's got that. And he wants to go out there and throw and he's hitting 101 in the seventh inning. And it wasn't just 101. He was hitting a hundred. He hit it consistently. He was hitting triple digits quite often uh, in this, uh, in this start. So the kid was out there like really just, just taking it by the balls and and uh, and lowering his ERA to two point one zero. That's unbelievable. I mean, he's right now, you know, definitely uh, one of the frontrunners, if not the frontrunner for Cy Young. It's him and Verlander and possibly Kluber. Those are the three guys yeah. right now in the American League. I can't tell which one of these stats I like better from Severino's performance. So he threw twenty three out of twenty six first pitch strikes, which is awesome. And he also threw 29 pitches of, of 99-plus miles an hour. He has 117 pitches this season of 99-plus miles an hour, which is the most in Major League Baseball by far by a starting pitcher. It's incredible. I, how many, I don't know which one I like better. And how many pitches did he throw? It was right around 100, wasn't it? He got pulled at 100? Yeah, I think he got pulled at 100, 104. 104, okay. So uh, 29 were... Let's call, it 20, let's call it 28%, 29%. Crazy. That's crazy. And, and, you know, 101 in the seventh. So this guy is, is not losing a damn thing uh, from the first inning to the seventh inning. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's exactly what you want. It's exactly what you want. And it's, it's super impressive. And I, I, every single time he goes out there, I'm more impressed. It's, he's fun to watch. He, he did not use his changeup. That makes two starts in a row not really using his changeup. Uh, he gave up a homer to Seattle, uh, to Seeger on a changeup early in that game. And after that, did not really use it and only basically threw fastball sliders on Tuesday night. He didn't need to throw his changeup because he was that dominant with his fastball and his slider. Philly couldn't touch him. We've talked about Severino and his third pitch and having that as something that he needs. He's going to need to show that third pitch. His changeup doesn't need to be elite. It just needs to be usable. I, I think against teams like Philly or against Seattle, he can get away with fastball slider. But he's facing the Red Sox next. And he has struggled against the Red Sox this season and in the past. He has, I think, a career four-something ERA against the Red Sox. He's going to need to have a third pitch if he wants to beat teams and be this dominant against Red Sox, too. Yeah, it, well, it's interesting because I, I think it's, it's, not, it's not as important as it was last year because now he has proved that his fastball and slider are as dominant as they are, and, and you, you can't really tell what's coming because the fastball and the slider look the same out of the hand. And he's throwing them both um, at high velocities. He's got good, you know, differential between them. But there's so, he he can pinpoint it, and that slider is just absolutely filthy. Uh, who, what was the beat writer who from Philly said? Uh, gas and filth. He's got two pitches. Yeah. Gas and filth. By the way, I already I already made a T-shirt about that too. By the way, <laughs> it's coming out soon. It's great. It's great. But um, but yeah, that's I mean that's when you're when you're that dominant when you have an A plus slider and an A plus fastball. You could definitely get away with that when you're okay, on. Okay, you can get away with a C minus yeah. changeup then. No, you absolutely can. But at the same time, you don't need it as much. Whereas before, he didn't have the confidence. Uh, he wasn't able to throw the fastball for strikes as much as he is now. The slider wasn't, it was good, but it wasn't nearly what it is this year. And 
you know, when you have those two pitches uh, that are such dominant pitches, you don't need it as much. But I totally agree with you. He's going to need to, it's, you, you can't live on two pitches as a starting pitcher. Mariano was able to do it because he was pitching one inning. Severino is now going to be, you know, a, a guy who's consistently getting into the seventh, eighth inning. Uh, and, and then when you start playing better teams, yes, you're going to need that third pitch. And like you said, you don't have to throw it a lot. You just got to know it's there. If it's in the back pocket, and that's what we've always said about him, the changeup doesn't need to be great. But if he shows the changeup, then it's in the back of the mind of the, of the player. And now they're looking for three pitches that all look the same. And I just don't want him to lose confidence in it. I, I mean, you know, I, if he if he lost confidence because he gave up a home run to Seager, I I don't like that. I, I, I want him. To I don't s- think that's the case. You think he? What, you I just don't think, think his lo- fastball and slider was so good on yes. Tuesday that? And I agree with you. Yes. I agree with you. He I don't think that guy has, has is losing confidence in anything. That's that's who that guy is right now. Luis Severino is walking to the mound confident in everything he throws. He chooses not to throw that. the The game plan is if we don't need it, why are we throwing it? Well, does he need to prove it against the Red Sox? Not change up. Just does he need to prove himself against the Red Sox? Because his worst start of the season came against Boston this year at Fenway. Five innings, five runs. And 2017 against Boston in four starts, he had a 417 ERA. Right. I don't think he needs... Uh, I mean, proving it is, uh, is, is leading to me that there's something to be proven. And, you know, he's done everything this year. He's, he's pitched well in every situation. So I'm not going to think differently of him if he goes out there and doesn't have a great game um but he's just that type of competitor he's already talked about that he wants the ball he's not afraid of anybody he says you know this is the guy that is a different person now who's talking this way who feels this way and and who can go out there and dominate a team with two pitches I mean it's it's great to see because I don't think that they're going into this saying we're going to throw a fastball slider and that's it I, I mean I guarantee the the game plan has some some flexibility with that changeup, and if they need it, they'll throw it more often, or at least they'll show it in certain situations that they need to. But I just don't think they've needed to for 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 some time now. And if they don't need to, then 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 why do it? Why mm. why leave a, a changeup that's that's definitely your third pitch because it's by far his third pitch. It's definitely not one or two. So if you don't need your third best pitch, then why throw it? It's fair. And he did, uh, he did shove the bats down the Astros' throat on two separate occasions this year. Yep. So the Red Sox are next. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Aaron Judge's home road splits. Um, it's a little jarring. So at home, he is maybe the best player in the world. He is batting 359, 486, 718 with 13 homers and 12 doubles in 181 plate appearances at home. And then on the road, 162 plate appearances, 193. 296, 386 with seven homers and six doubles. A couple of big key differences. So at home, he strikes out 27% of the time, which for Judge is not bad. On the road, 35%, which is a good amount higher. And his BABIPs at home, 463, which is insane, insanely high. And then on the road, 256, which is, which is low. So there's, there's things that we can deduct from this, right? Uh, He's striking out more on the road. And I don't think that's a crazy difference. I, 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 I'm curious as to see what other you know, big power hitters, where their numbers are, splits home and well, away. Here, let me also add this. By comparison, last season, it was about the same home and road strikeout yeah. rate. Okay. I mean, I, I, I kind of understand the strikeout rate. And, and I, don't, I don't think that's concerning at all, honestly. 27 and 35% on the road. It doesn't seem like a concerning number. Some of the other numbers are pretty concerning, though. And concerning, you, I mean, use that, take that with, uh, with a very a grain of salt because – He's doing extremely well. 
but 193, 296, and and then you're looking at, um, you know, just significantly less power where, where you're seeing less home runs, less doubles, the extra base hits are not there. And, uh, and, and he's, it's like, he's getting very lucky at home or he's getting very unlucky on the road. I don't know what it is. Do you think he's, do you think maybe it's just a situation where he sees the ball so exceptionally well at Yankee stadium? It could be. There's something, something like that could absolutely be the case where his comfort level is that much better. He knows uh, the ins and outs of that place. They have a good backdrop. That could be it. It absolutely could be it. Um, his confidence level, I mean, just the way he walks up and approaches the plate and the way that he, the way that he feels stepping up to the plate at Yankee Stadium, I mean, I mean he certainly feels comfortable there. Um, yeah, and last season he hit 33 of his 52 home runs at home. And we know he has power to hit it out of any stadium. It doesn't matter. He would have hit it out of those stadiums in 1901 with no fences. But... At Yankee Stadium, you got the short porch. He can he can hit a ball off the end of the bat, and it goes five rows deep at the short porch. So he also has that uh, maybe comfort, maybe um, just fallback plan where let me just put the ball in play to right, right. field. It's probably going to be a home run. Well, and it's also interesting when you look at that too, and and you're thinking of uh, I mean, think about the other side of it. If you're the opposing pitcher, you're you're trying to be more careful when you're looking at Aaron Judge at home, because like, you know what he does at Yankee Stadium, and you know that if he does miss it. If he misses a a ball and and just kicks it off the uh, the right side and and flips it in the air, that it could be a home run. So you know there could be uh, some of these pitchers that are, are are just trying to be too perfect and leaving balls over the plate, um, and and you know making too many mistakes at home. That the, the approach I bet is very different if you're talking to the same pitcher if they're at their home ballpark against Aaron Judge or at Yankee Stadium against Aaron Judge. Um, and uh, do you, one thing that I, I've thought as I was looking these numbers up. So do you feel like Judge has been hot at any point this season? No, it doesn't feel like he has been. And in baseball, he ranks in the top 10 in on-base percentage, OPS, home runs, RBIs, and walks. He just hasn't gone on one of those ridiculous streaks. I mean, granted, we've only seen him for a year, but he has he's still a top 10 player, though. I know. That's... So imagine if he does go on one of those runs like we saw last May, where I think he hit like 350, or in, um, in September where he hit 15 home runs. Yeah. It's going to be a joke. No, I know. It's absolutely a joke. The guy's unfair. He's a cheat code. Uh, the, I think Rich's tweet is still getting retweeted. The, uh, the fact that this guy is that good and still hasn't hit that like, major hot streak yet is awesome. I mean, that's just something we have to look forward to. Giancarlo looks like he's kind of going through it right now or starting to or you know, maybe in the, the beginning stages of something like this. But Judge hasn't done it. And look, I think this is such good news for Yankee fans and for the Yankees and for Aaron Judge. Because when we when he came up, everybody thought that he was going to be a you know two fifty two forty hitter, maybe even less than that, you know more of like the Adam Dunn type guy, where you're not going to see a lot of consistent numbers. You're going to see home runs, a lot of strikeouts, uh, you know some some good power production, but you're not going to see uh, a guy that's consistently hitting, consistently getting on base, um, consistently you know hitting gaps and 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 hitting getting extra base hits. And that's what we're seeing. He's not only a, a great power hitter, but he's a very good hitter. And that's, that's danger for everybody. And it's huge for his career because he's just getting, it seems like he's getting better at the plate and more confident and a better approach um, you know, every time he gets up there. 
And and even if he doesn't say he's not the type of player to go on another one of these unbelievably hot runs, and he's just a consistent player day in and day out. That's that's awesome as well. And maybe he is getting a little unlucky on the road, and that, those numbers start to shift more towards the mean, and then boom, you, you just get that little extra bump from him on the road. So, I I, I, th- I thought it was worth pointing out. Certainly not something to be concerned about. You know, when he first came up, and we were talking about. We, we I think we, we did a show when we were talking about uh, this was before it might have been after when he after 2016 when he struggled at the end and we were talking about comparables right and we're trying to everybody always wants to put a, a name against somebody and uh, usually a former player and like who do they remind you of and the one guy that I think we both came to um, but you know I'm looking at this guy and you look at the body type and you think of the Yankees the the guy that comes to mind is Dave Winfield. And when you look at Dave Winfield's career and the way that he was, Dave Winfield could get on base. Dave Winfield could hit for average. Dave Winfield could hit for power. They're very, very he similar had a players. cannon for an arm. They're, I mean, you, you see Aaron Judge play more and more. Uh, the comparables to uh, Dave Winfield, who is a Hall of Fame player, are very, very legit. Yeah, yeah. I, I do remember making that compa- comparison. I think it was after... After he debuted, I think after we were there in person for his debut, it was at some point. Yeah, we, I'm sure we we called him a Hall of Famer after that game. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. Uh, little breaking news here at 10:57 p.m. The Yankees send down Luis Sessa. Oh, shocking! <laughs> that was fun. Uh, Aaron Hicks has had a very good month of June. Um, 83 plate appearances entering Wednesday, 280, 337, 587 with a 924 OPS and six home runs. And those six home runs are tied with Stanton for the team lead in the month. You know, this is one of those things that we've been waiting for. We've been waiting to see what Aaron Hicks is with consistent at-bats, consistent playing time. This is one of the bigger narratives in the offseason. Like, what's, what's center field going to look like if Aaron Hicks is the guy who's out there every day? I mean, we, know, we, we all knew that Jacoby Ellsbury wasn't going to be there and the, uh, that Aaron Hicks was going to be the guy that was going to step in and, and play center field. But the, the, the thing was, I think the, the biggest question for, for us and fans is, who is he? You know, is he the guy that... Um, you know, when he came back from that oblique, was like super hot and played at a very high level. We know what his defense is, but what is he at the plate? And I think he's starting to show his his uh, his cards a little bit. I mean, I, he he seems like he's uh, p- turning out to be a, a very good hitter, and mm. I, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with what he's uh, very good. He's a good hitter. And I no, no no. What I'm saying is, I still uh, he may very well be a very good hitter. This is the longest we've seen him. Right, I mean, stretch wise. Well, last last May and June, he had a similar stretch to this. My problem with Aaron Hicks is that we see flashes of this, and Cashman saw these flashes when he was in Minnesota. I mean, he loved the guy. This is longer it, than that, though. It's been going on longer. It is than that. longer, but we've been duped by Aaron Hicks before, where he has a month to two months of really, really great production. Nine twenty four OPS is fantastic, especially with his defense in center field. But is he going to disappear for, for two months in, in August and September? I have no clue. He very well could. The thing is, is that last year we saw, we saw him um, play, get hurt, play. It, just, it didn't seem like he was able to get into any kind of a groove. He's now had uh, you know, a good amount, 83 plate appearances. And in this, in this, in this uh, latest stretch of the month, not, not hurt, playing well playing defense, playing almost every day, playing in the leadoff spot, moving around to different uh, areas of the lineup. 
you know, I, I feel like we've seen a, a bigger sample size in, in one long stretch of Aaron Hicks consistently. And he has the job. Like, it's his job, center field. And I, I think that's a, a big deal for him, too. And yeah, we, you know, we were joking kind of about the fact that when Clint Frazier would come up into the, uh, onto the team, all of a sudden Aaron Hicks starts playing well again. Uh, but before that, there was also talk, and you look at the numbers, um, and we had people come on and talk about this, that he was actually getting unlucky you know, during the times that people thought he was struggling, and, and that it was only a matter of time until you know, those balls that were getting caught that were going to drop. And that's what's happening right now. I mean, he's hitting the ball out of the park now, Obviously, at a, a high clip, he's tied with Stanton for the month. So, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm starting to see more of what he is. It seems like he's coming into himself. Yeah, and I, and I had said on, this, on the show before that I don't like when Hicks leads off. Yeah. And, and Boone does it against lefties to get more righties in, in, in there. And he just seems to plug and play with Gardner and Hicks. But Hicks has proven me wrong in the month of June. Okay. And he was batting third tonight. Um, well, tonight was a bit of an right. No, I understand, but 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 uh, what I'm saying is Boone Boone uses Hicks as sort of like a guy where it does it, like I'm just going to plug him wherever I need him in the lineup. First, third, sixth, seventh. It yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, and that's and, how he's treated him. Right, and he's and he's you know he's proved that he can hit up anywhere in the lineup. It doesn't matter where where you put him. Uh, but you know, look again. I, I, I'm if I'm looking at him, I, I've been waiting to see. Uh, you know, kind of to get a, a better judgment on him. And I feel like I'm getting closer to a picture of who Aaron Hicks is. You know, I, I still, th- I think he's probably like a 260 hitter. He'll, he'll, if he were to have a full season, he'd probably hit 20 to 25 home runs. And that's, that's, and he's going to play a phenomenal um, center field. And I'm totally good with that. Like, I think that that's exactly what they need. They need a, a, a plus defender and a guy who's not going to hurt them on the, on the um, offensive side. And that's exactly what Aaron Hicks is. And I think he gives them deep at bats. And and not hit not I say not hurt them. Uh, that's being unfair to the way he's playing because he's helping them right now, and he's doing, um, you know, he's doing very well for for the spots that he's put in. So he's 100 percent contributing in a positive way. I, I'm ha- I'm really happy with, with the way he's turned out so far. Haven't heard the trade or release Aaron Hicks. Um, it has not been in mail bags as much anymore, or so. the Brett Gardner ones because both of those guys have been solid for for the recent play, which is bad news for for Frazier who was sent down again. Like I said last show, he's the 26th man. He's going to be the guy that's called up and sent down a number of times this year. Um, other other roster moves: Sanchez goes on the DL as we expected. He uh, Yankees said he's probably going to miss three to four weeks. I thought there was an interesting quote from Boone who said maybe it's a time that we make sure he's staying proactive with his conditioning so that when he does come back, he's in the best possible place so that he can be physically sound the rest of the way. Do you think this is a shot by Boone? <laughs> um, I don't know if it's a shot as much as, as, as it is a, uh, a worry for him being inactive for X amount of time and, and conditioning getting worse and spiraling quicker than you know, a regular, another player would you know, how it would affect another player. I think it would affect a guy like Gary Sanchez probably a lot more, uh, a, a lot more drastically than it would a guy who's in very good condition. So I think he's being careful with the way that they're going to treat him. And I think that's probably the right move. But, you know, it's a slight little jab. But at the same time, he's a catcher and he's a bigger body dude, dudeing it up on the side. What are you going <laughs> yeah. to do? I think the fact that catchers get banged up more, but like last last year we saw him pull a bicep muscle and he missed a month, and now he pulled a groin muscle and he's going to miss a month. Yeah, and that's not what they want. They don't want him any of these uh, these soft tissue injuries any longer. 
Let's do, some, let's do some stretching, your Y injuries. Let's do some uh, Pilates, <clears throat> you know, get on, the, uh, get on the machines. Let's go, Gary. Higgy was also called up. He still is hitless, 0 for 20. Poor bastard. And Gallegos was called up, and he actually looked pretty decent tonight. You think Higgy's trying to say something with this number 66? I don't know. 66, what, what uh, Clint Frazier's 77. Oh, I see. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like it's the new age, uh, it's the cool thing to do. He's, he's Something tells me Higgy doesn't pick his number, and he gets whatever <laughs> they assign him. 60, I'd be happy with that assigned number after, because Judge made it, Judge made it cool by going with the high double-digit number. Then Frazier backed it up with the 77. So he's like, you know, so that's now a trend of the younger baby bombers. And uh, it's, it's kind of a cool thing. So, I mean, let's be real. Rick Vaughn made it cool, number 99. He absolutely did. But Aaron Judge, uh, brought it, he brought it back. What's old is new. Uh, Brandon Drury has been getting more time at first base. Um, he's going to start playing first base more regularly, which is what we talked about last week. Um, people are, are calling for jury to be called up because Bird is really struggling. Uh, Boone also had an interesting quote about jury. He was asked if jury's going to get the call up soon, and Boone said, that's not on the front burner with us. Yeah. So do you think this is because they want to get him more time at first base? Do you think it's because there's no room for him on the roster? Or are they fudging with his service time, which some people are, are, are theorizing? Yeah, it could be a little bit of everything. They, uh, what was the magic date when uh, Chris Carter got released? July 4th? <laughs> July 4th. Was it, yeah, July, was, that, it, was it really Independence Day? It was Independence Come Day. On, it was Freedom for America. I freedom didn't even, for us, did we? I did not even realize that. That's a beautiful. What a, what a great day for that to happen. We could actually celebrate that every so, year. So I'm probably going to get yelled at on Twitter. The last game he played for the Yankees was July 4th. I don't know when they actually released right. him. It's close enough in my book. Let's call it July 4th. <laughs> um, so maybe there's a magic date. They're, they're trying to, you know, Go back to something like that with Neil Walker because Neil Walker is still not hitting the ball, and he got a little unlucky tonight with some uh, with some some plays in the field. But he's just I don't know. There there doesn't seem like there, there's really much for him to do at this point on this roster. When you got a guy like Brandon Drury down there who is now going to be playing first base, who is a Triple A All Star, and <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> if they call him up now, he's he can't play in the All Star game at Triple A. That's going to be a real sadness for him. I mean, it's it's so crazy seeing the you fact that he got it. You don't it. go to that game if you're him, right? Man, I, yeah, I, I don't think so. I think you gotta. I think you gotta. You know, do, you gotta do the cool guy thing. And not I go think to that you're game. busy. You're busy on vacation or yeah. something. I got that, better those, things those to days. do. No, gotta, thank you. I gotta wash my hair. Yeah, <laughs> but you know the fact that there, we have this guy down there who's just lighting up AAA. Got nominated. He's been down there long enough to get nominated for the All Star game. Is crazy. It's not fair. It's not fair because he's a he's a major league player who can now see the ball. I guess maybe it would be fair if he couldn't see the ball, but he can see the ball now. Maybe he can't see the ball, and that's what they're. It's just AAA, and this is what he looks like in AAA. I, look, the the guy's ready to go. He's talked about it. He's proving it, and. I just I, I don't know why we got to deal with uh, this Neil Walker thing any longer. I kind of I kind of feel like the Neil Walker thing could still like at any moment turn around be, just because of his his history. But I can't keep saying that because it's not happening. And I, if it was going to happen, I think it would have already happened. Um, so I don't know what they're waiting for at this point. It's been a long enough time to see if he's going to hit, and he's just not hitting. What? Well, yeah. Do you think they're they're keeping Neil Walker because they don't want him going to competitor like the Red Sox? Because the Red Sox could actually use him in field depth. Pedroia's been uh, been injured a ton. Yeah, and they Dever, just picked Dever's, up somebody today. They just got Brandon Phillips. Oh yeah, Brandon Phillips. I just saw that. Yeah, so they just Ooh, got 
they forgot got, was a thing. Yeah, yeah. They got uh, what's his Twitter name? It's like the dude or the the man. I forget what it is. The um, but now they have uh, some depth. We talk about that with uh, with with Chad. I was talking to him about you know what are they what are they going to do at second base because second base is is definitely a mystery for the Red Sox right now with them not knowing when Pedroia is going to get back and uh, Nunez not doing not having the greatest season. So there's there's definitely some uh, some things happening and obviously. Uh, I think this might tell you more about, you know, what they think uh, Pedroia's, uh, you know, what his situation is anyway for coming back. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think they're worried about Neil Walker going and signing anywhere. I mean, if if he's going to be the same guy, like, <laughs> you can't cares? worry about that. That's not something you can worry about. So no, I don't no. think that's part of it. Yeah. And if they are manipulating jury service time, that's kind of shitty to do to a guy who already proved he's in the major leagues. This is not like the situation with, with Glaber Torres where he's a rookie phenom, phenom and they're doing the best business decision and you just stick him in the minors for two more weeks before he makes his major league debut. Jury has proved he's a major league player. He had a weird injury and to to keep him in the minors strictly for this I think would be really, really in poor taste and could actually backfire because jury could resent you if, you, is that, if that's what you're doing. I mean, I'm not worried about resentment. That's not something that I'm, I'm going to worry about a major league player coming up and doing and affecting his game because then we got bigger problems if that's going to actually come into play. I, the, there's another... But the, the other thing here is, is the roster. I mean, it's a, legitimate, it's a legitimate concern if you bring him up does he play every day? Can you play these guys enough where they're going to get the time that they need in the field and at the bat? Uh, that's an absolute concern because he's an everyday player. He's, he's been playing every day in AAA. He comes up. Is he going to play every day? Probably not. I mean, maybe you could, you could fit him in and give other guys more off days, but then you're giving those guys more off days. And do you want to do that? So there's, there's a lot of decisions to be made. You know, if, you're, if, if Greg Bird is not hitting any longer, if he does not come back uh, at some point and, and prove that he can hit, uh, then you know Drury's going to get more playing time at first base, but I, I don't think they're there yet because this team is still winning. And until this team is not still winning, they can do whatever the hell they want. That's the thing; they're winning. So why not play with play your options at that point? I said, I, I don't think they're going to give up on Greg Bird anytime soon. I don't think though. they're gonna, no. I'm not saying they are, but I'm saying that if he's not hitting and Drury were up, then Drury would get more playing time. But I just don't think they're at that point right now. So we saw Neil Walker play first base on Wednesday night against a right-handed pitcher. And the Yankees are facing three left-handed pitchers over the weekend against Boston. So that means Bird could, in theory, sit for like five straight days. I don't think they'll sit him every game against Boston. But he's probably going to sit one or two days against Boston. I mean, you just pull, pull up the, the videotape of him hitting the, the home run off of Andrew Miller. And we can all talk about how if he can hit lefties. I mean, the guy can hit. He's just not doing it yet. So I don't know what the deal is with him. You know, and unfortunately, I'm not going to go out and say he's 100% healthy either because we've also seen Greg Bird go out there and play and then all of a sudden he's injured and oh, we hear later that he's been dealing with an injury for the entire time and the Yankees didn't want to get a scan on it or he didn't tell anybody about it or I, you know, I just don't know what to make of it anymore. Right. I, I really don't. Who knows with him? So it's, it's a big mystery. I'm uh, very much looking forward to this series. It just seems like that's what everyone is waiting for on, on Wednesday. The lineup was weird. The pitchers were weird. The Yankees weren't trying. Fans didn't seem to care. The Yankees lost. Uh, it's just like, let's move forward to Boston. This is what everyone's really paying attention to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Trap game. <laughs> Trap game, ready ready to go to Boston. This was, this was week 12 against the Jets. Yeah, <laughs> oh, thank you very much. That was a freaking <laughs> blow, but it's probably accurate. The, um, the, you know, they're, they're more concerned about the softball game tomorrow night than, mm. than the Phillies. 
So like I said, follow us on social media. We're going to be tweeting out stuff from that event. And then uh, for everyone who is coming to the BP Crew event on Friday, we will see you there. Scott, any last words? Yeah, for those of you that are coming to the game, if you're going to the bar ahead of time, get there early because uh, I've been talking with the bar owner and from, from what he's saying and from what I remember as well, the line for Boston series, he said, starts at like, you know, four o'clock. He said, sometimes there's a line outside. So get there early, get your, uh, get your, get your beers in because it seems like there's going to be a line as well. Um, so get, I think they open at three o'clock. So I think we had a start time on this thing. Erase the start time, get there when you can. The deals are there. So let's, uh, let's have a, a blast. I can't wait for this game and to hang out with everybody. It's going to be a lot of fun. Maybe camp out the night before. Maybe camp out. Yeah, we should set up some tents. It's a good idea. Like, like it's when, like when a new iPhone is coming out. Yeah, like for like Dave Matthews tickets outside Tower Records. Yeah, we'll just camp out. No problems. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll talk to you on Monday. All eyes lyrical, all eyes divisible, all identical, quote fly presentable. It's been a minute since I stepped in it. Let me finish, spit a sentence, split percentage, fist and clenches, sick inventions, and suspense in the trenches, twisted wrenches, lefty loosey. All right, guys, I want to welcome on our next guest is Mr. Chad Jennings, who is the Red Sox writer for The Athletic. Uh, you can follow him at Twitter, at Chad Jennings 22 and you're familiar with Chad from his Yankee days and also been on the show a few times talking about the Red Sox. So, Chad, thanks for joining us again. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. So, obviously, we have a, a pretty heated rivalry coming back, uh, coming back uh, into the swing and things this weekend, starting on Friday uh, at Yankee Stadium. Yankees and the Red Sox currently have the two best major uh, record in baseball, and there's 13 more matchups between these two teams. So how do you see this thing working out, and do you see it you know, just really relying on these 13 games? Because it seems like they're, uh, they're taking care of business otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I think it's obviously going to play out big. I mean, I, I think it's going to play like this all the way. I, I, to me, the biggest difference really might be just the ability to improve at the deadline. Obviously the Yankees farm system is better situated to make a, uh, to make a significant addition if one's needed uh, than the Red Sox are right now. So to me, that's, that's one factor that I still sort of expect to play a significant role at some point this season. I mean, you know, with the Yankees trying to get a starting pitcher or need to want to get a bat, I mean, whatever, whatever it is, they're in a good position to do so for the Red Sox. You know, I think they'd like to have another right-handed hitter. I think they would like to improve their bullpen. Um, they just put Stephen Wright back on the disabled list, so obviously there's some uncertainty there in their rotation. There are ways that they would like to improve, but they don't. They don't have a lot of pieces that they can that they can move that that have a ton of value um, to make a huge splash like the Yankees could do if they want to. Yeah, you've mentioned that in the past about, and, and I think people are, who are familiar with Dombrowski, that's kind of his style, right? Is going out and getting the, uh, selling some of the farm system to, to make that top, that top part, top part of the roster uh, extremely top heavy and, and diminish some of it. So, I mean, looking at what they do have in their system right now, what kind of a return do you think they can get? I mean, it seems like, you know, a, a, like you said, a right handed bat or maybe a bullpen arm. What do you think they're going to be targeting at the deadline? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, they'll get, I think they'll get a reliever. Dombrowski gets relievers. I mean, he's done that. Every year he's been here, it's a, a market that's easy to jump into in the middle of the season. And, and it's a need that I think is, is maybe not always glaring with the Red Sox. I mean, they've Joe Kelly and Matt Barnes have pitched pretty well as sort of a seventh and eighth inning guy. Uh, but they, they don't, they're not carrying a true left on left guy, which I think they could use. 
um, you know, I, I, they have pieces that you can get an arm. I mean, they, they're going to be able to get a bullpen arm. Um, another question for them is just is if they do want to get that bat, you know, they're probably weakest right now at, at second base where Pedroia is still on the disabled list and Gordon Nunez has not played as well coming off of his own knee injury. Um, but it's hard to find a big offensive upgrade at second base. Um, so then you're looking at maybe getting a guy who, I mean, you could do a DH and just bench Jackie Bradley, put J.D. Martinez in the outfield and just go get a pure hitter um, to slot in a DH. I mean, there, there are places to get a guy, but what they don't have, you know, like they, Michael Chavis, their top prospect, was hit with a 50-game suspension to start this season. Right. Jake Groom, they're, they're probably their top pitching prospect, just went down with Tommy John. Their top pick from last year's draft has like a five-something ERA and A ball. It's just this was a pretty – Thin system to begin with, and, and it's it's not been a good start to the year, and in terms of some of the like real impact guys, and so you have to think that hurts their ability to go out and get a really big impact guy like the Yankees could do if they want to move, you know, Frazier or, or Chance Adams or some of these guys, Justin Sheffield, some of the guys they have up in the top of the farm system, you know, they could if they want to, they could they could dump some of those guys and go get a real impact guy. I think it would be harder for the Red Sox to pull that off. Do you think that they'll have to give up somebody that's closer to the major league roster, if not on the major league roster to, to improve on certain areas of their team? I mean, you're talking about those, the Mm -hmm. prospects and, and having a a 50 game suspension for your top prospect while he's not injured. And, you know, he would be theoretically a team's not going to need them this year, um, but it's still going to hurt the value. So if they're trying to go after one of the bigger bullpen arms, just uh, you know, San Diego or going to Oakland for a guy like Blake Trinan, it seems like it would be yeah. pretty hard to make a deal like that, especially with the market, how we've seen, you know, how high it can get for relievers at the deadline. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's probably true. They do have some I mean, they have some arms lower in the system, and so it's going to be a little bit of what our team's really looking for. I mean, we've seen the Yankees do this, where they, they've traded off some just sort of hard-throwing young guys and have been able to get some talent that way. Yep. I think the Red Sox are situated to be able to do that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the problem that, you know, their, their young talent on the Major League roster is not the sort of up-and-down guys that, that some of the, that's like the Yankees have. The top young talent for the Red Sox is, is Andrew Benatendi and Raphael Devers. And, you know, you're not going to trade them to get a <laughs> an eighth-inning guy. Right, right. Uh, and they don't have that unless somebody were to really value uh, Brian Johnson or Blake Swihart or, you know, some of these guys that are, I mean, really basically like the 24th and 25th guys on the roster. Um, I mean, those are former first round picks, but they're just not, um, you know, they're not huge impact guys right now. And I doubt that's enough to bring back a, uh, a real impact reliever or an impact bat. So then you're probably looking at, is a team going to be, open to sort of rolling the dice with some of these younger guys that are farther away from the big leagues, but, but have considerable raw talent. You just got to take on a lot of the risk reward. You, you mentioned uh, what, talking about getting somebody and, and actually looking for potentially a DH and just slotting J.D. Martinez back into the outfield and, and actually benching mm-hmm. Jackie Bradley Jr. And we all know what he can do defensively. I and mean, we've seen it against the Yankees. He's stolen home runs. Um, from that well in uh, in the outfield at Fenway before yeah. against the Yankees, I mean he's phenomenal. But definitely uh, he's he's what sub sub six hundred uh, OPS and has definitely lost some playing time along the way. Do you do you think that the Red Sox see him as more of a defensive bench player at this point, and and that's you know really a direction that they're going to look at? 
No, I, I think that they've shown a lot of patience with them, and it's starting to pay off even though the numbers aren't coming around. Jackie is hitting his – he's hit the ball really hard lately. And he, I mean, his batting average balls in play is really low. I mean, there's a lot of luck factor right now in that his offensive numbers are this bad. Um, he should be better than this. He has been better lately, but hasn't necessarily gotten many results to go with it. Mm-hmm. So I think that urged them a lot. And they, they have stuck with playing. And they sat him for, oh, like three out of four or four out of five or something and tried to get him to kind of reset. And and that seems to have maybe had an impact. I, I don't suspect that that is the uh, – the go-to plan for them. I don't think they're actively looking to make Jackie a bench player because not only putting him in center, if he's just such a great center fielder, but it just lines up Ben Attendee and Bet so well, you know, where that, I mean, Ben Attendee becomes one of the better left fielders and, and Mookie's maybe the best right fielder in baseball defensively. So, you know, that, it just their whole outfield lines up so well when Jackie's out there playing center. Um, I don't think that that's the plan, but it's just if they do decide they really need a bat, that just seems like the easiest way to do it. You know, it's just that's that's where you could make it fit most naturally um, is to just put J.D. in the outfield, put Jackie on the bench, and, and, and just get some guy, preferably a right-handed hitter, who can just hit some home runs and, and out at the eight spot. It's funny. I don't know if you remember the narrative when uh, Brian Cashman made that trade for Aaron Hicks. And the, the whole narrative, a lot of it was by, you know, from people who were talking about it was uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. or Aaron Hicks is the next Jackie Bradley Jr. because yeah, yeah. he came off, you know, he came out so hot in the beginning. Yeah. So now I don't know if that's a good thing or not, or who's, if <laughs> maybe Jackie Bradley Jr. needs to be the next Aaron Hicks. I, I don't know where we are right. with that, with that comparison. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it is funny that that's the way that play that, 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 I remember that comparison well. I mean, yeah. I remember Cash making that comparison as right. well. But, right. That you know, it took it took Jackie a little bit to get going, and but it's 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 probably fairly similar in terms of uh, you know where these teams are with those two players. You know, I mean, you've seen Hicks have considerable ups and downs, and uh, there's a belief I think in both organizations in those two players. Uh, so I think each one is is more inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think I think that's where the Red Sox are with Jackie. The, the struggles are obvious, but I think there's still a belief that he is a better hitter, certainly that he's a better hitter than he's shown this year. It seems like they've tried to, and, and they're really pretty much succeeded in, you know, getting more power in the lineup uh, with, with J.D. Martinez, uh, Moreland's, uh, you know, had what, 13, 12, 13 home runs. Uh, Mookie Betts yeah. is hitting the ball out of the ballpark. So it seems like these guys are definitely have found their power stroke. Um, do you, do you see more, uh, of a second half explosion from a guy like Devers because it seems like he's he struggled a little bit at third base. Yeah, his, you know his defense has actually been better this year, much better this year than expected. I mean he's he's been I I expected him to be a butcher over there from everything yeah. I heard about him, but he's been pretty good this year. But it's been inconsistent. I mean he he plays like a twenty one year old kid. You know I mean, he he still you know makes some mistakes and and offensively it's really come and gone. I mean. You know he's had some power, but it just is, uh, just hasn't been there with any consistency. Um, but again, th- th- this is also maybe going back to the state of the farm system. There's not an alternative. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nobody else uh, it, unless Pedroia got healthy again, and then you could maybe think about you know playing Nunez and, and Brock Holt over there. Uh, they're going to stick with Devers. But I think you're right that there is there's the potential for more impact. Certainly, there's a potential for more impact from Devers than than what they've than what they've gotten from him so far. I think that's the big thing. I mean, you look at this lineup, the way they have it situated with, with Mookie and then Ben Attendee and then J.D., 
Sander Bogarts, Mitch Moreland. I mean, that's a that's a really good one through five. Um, you know, I mean, Mookie has been the best thing in the league this side of Mike Trout, and Benatendi's played well. Moreland is having. I mean, there's a good chance he can he can make the All Star team as a first baseman. Yeah, now, it's a weak year for first baseman, but he's he's had a really tremendous year. And JD obviously is JD Martinez, but they just haven't gotten very much at all from the bottom half of the lineup. You know, Devers has been so hit or miss. Nunez has been kind of doesn't have the same uh, explosiveness that he's had in the past. Pedroia is still hurt. They've gotten almost no offense out of their catchers. So that that I think they're they're waiting. And as we already discussed, Jackie, I mean, they're waiting to get something more to lengthen that lineup. Something I wrote on Monday is that Mookie in the leadoff spot has been tremendous, I mean, terrific, and it, and it's played out the way you'd want a leadoff guy to play, but. It has really limited the chances for him to drive in runs because he's getting to the plate with runners on base even less often than most other teams do. You know, so you know you're going to give up some of that when you put a guy in the leadoff spot. But the Red Sox bottom of the order has been so bad that it's it's affected that even more than you'd expect. You know, I think they knew they were going to give up some RBI chances for for Mookie by putting him hitting him first, but but they've really taken him away. I mean, it's. It's something like only 18% of his at-bats have been with the runner in scoring position. Um, you know, that's that's rough. And and to remedy that, I think they really need to get – got to get something going out of 7-8-9, and they haven't had that this year. Have they talked about moving somebody else? Uh, is there any conversation about moving somebody else into that into that leadoff spot and moving bets down, like, say, moving Bogart up or uh, one of these yeah, other guys? I mean, no. I, I think ideally they'd if, – if Jackie Bradley uh, Jr. would start hitting, I mean, he seems like that would be a nice little fit, but – not there yet. Yeah, they no, they they. This has been Cora's thing from since December. I mean, he from the moment basically from the moment he was hired, he said he wants Mookie to be the leadoff hitter. Yeah. Um, he has and he's and he's doubled down on that consistently throughout the year. That that's absolutely where he thinks it, and and he makes the case that look, it's working. Like I know right. we, we asked him about it a lot actually. You know, you're you're losing some RBI chances for this guy. And his point is always, yeah, I guess, but. <laughs> it's the best leadoff hitter in baseball. And that's undeniably correct. I mean, his on-base percentage is the highest. His, his OPS is the highest of any leadoff hitter. I mean, he's just, by far, he's been the best leadoff hitter in baseball. It's just, they don't have, you know, they just haven't gotten guys on front of him, and they don't have another true leadoff guy. You know, there's not a Brett Gardner guy on this team who, right. who has that speed element and takes pitches and is going to try to work some walks even when he's not hitting, he can still get on base. We really have that. I mean, the closest proximities are probably Mookie or Andrew Benatendi or Xander Bogarts, and all three of those guys you could make a case for being more sort of middle of the order bats than necessarily true leadoff hitters. So, no, I mean, they're they're pretty committed to, to Mookie in the leadoff spot. It's just now it's a matter of, yeah, it, you kind of take the good and the bad with that. Are the Red Sox expecting anything at all at this point from Pedroia this year? And, uh, I mean, even though he's hurt, does he still have a presence in the clubhouse? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's around for sure. Um, and, yeah, I think that they do. I mean, I think they think that he's going to be back. But, you know, he, the cartilage restoration stuff that he went through on his knee, is a it's a common NBA surgery. Right. Uh, but it's really rare in baseball. Um, and so the, there's really – everything's so uncertain it's it's kind of i don't know i don't know what the right word is but it's um not bizarre to witness but it's you know like it's one of the few times when when they're saying like well we don't know what's next it's like you believe them (laughs) i mean they literally don't know it's not a matter of 
you know, not wanting to set a timetable before they have to and not wanting to talk about it before they have to. I mean, I think they really just don't know. There's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot to go on to tell them exactly, you know, where he's supposed to be in his recovery, what is, when he has a setback, what that's supposed to mean. It's, uh, it's pretty uncertain. And, but I still, they are certainly treating this with full expectation that he's going to play later in the year. And, and, you know, it might be that he plays two days and takes a day off you know, can sit the rest of the way, but, uh, but no, they're expecting to get something back out of them. It's just, uh, it's, it's really uncertain what that'll be or, or how often it'll be. Yeah. You just kind of rang something in my head. The, uh, the same injury, was this the one, was this similar to what like Kobe had? And I forget, maybe it was a mm-hmm. tiger woods where they went to Germany for plasma spinning. Is that, wasn't that the procedure uh, no. that would help rebuild yeah. the cartilage? No, well this, he had, he had micro fracture. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then they did, uh, and then they, so he had microfracture on sort of the bottom of his knee, and then on the top they just injected uh, cartilage from a cadaver. Oh wow! Um, more, I think it's more, it's similar to like what Amari Stoudemire had. I think. Okay, yeah, that's not um, good. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not <laughs> ideal. Um, I guess I'd take Kobe's knees over Amari's knees. Yeah, as Pedroia said a few times though, he was like, "Look, but." Most of the guys who've done this are basketball players who are, you know, whatever, six foot ten and yeah. two hundred and seventy pounds. He's like, I'm five eight, <laughs> one seventy. Like and, and it was a fair point, you know. He's like, I my knees just don't get pounded the way those guys do. So he was hopeful that that meant a, a quicker recovery. And again, I don't know, it's hard to tell if he's had a quicker recovery or not. because um, it's you know, you can't you can't limit minutes kind of the way that you do in the NBA and stuff like that. So the, the comeback has been different. I think it was his, he's played three games this year. I think it was the first one or the second one he had to score from second. And so, you know, it's a, well, you'd like to ease him in a ball gets hit in the corner and he's got to go, you know, there, there is no like, Oh, take it easy coming around third. Like, no, like you've got to score on this play. Um, so there's, yeah, it's, 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 I think that's made it complicated too, in terms of trying to get him back and, and, trying to ease him into baseball activities is, is some of the stuff there is no easing in. Some of this is just you've got to be able to go and you've got to be able to do it. All right, going to the other side of the game and talking about the pitching staff, um, I, I, we, we all know what Chris Sale is. I mean, he's he's been, as advertised, he's still one of the more dominant pitchers in the American League. Um, I think the big question mark for everybody, well, maybe a couple question marks, which Rick Porcello would show up. I mean, I think that's that's definitely something that's on people's minds, and it seems like the, the good Porcello has showed up. Um, yeah. And then David Price is the other the other guy who's such a wild card, it seems like, where, you know, he's had such success in the past during the regular season, but he's just had such weird things happen in Boston with, uh, you know, the injuries, uh, the video game stuff, skipping starts against the Yankees. You know, there was a whole narrative from all of us Yankee fans talking about how he was scared to pitch against New York. And he's actually, sl- I think, slotted for Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess David Price first, what's uh, what's the overall feeling with him right now? Is he... Is he back in the good graces and, and, you know, ready to contribute at a high level? Yeah, it, it really is like a completely different person than last year. He, he explained some of last year's, I don't know, weirdness. Yeah, by just, that's the, the best just, way to describe it. The frustration of being hurt. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. It was truly bizarre. I mean, you know, I covered the Yankees for seven years, and, and you think you see everything there. I'd never seen anything like this. It was just, it was just odd. It was a, a like, I don't know, always assuming a fight is strange. And it hasn't been that way this year. This year he's really been, I mean, from a, 
you know, as a reporter's point of view, he's been one of the better guys to talk to to get sort of in-depth stuff. And, you know, he's open to having conversations. He's smiling. He's laughing. Even the, the stuff he talked about with the when he had the carpal tunnel issue, and it had come out right after, actually after we at The Athletic had written a story about, you know, how many guys on the Red Sox are playing Fortnite, and he was one of the main guys talking about how often he played. And I, I have no idea if that is what would have caused some, or even would have played a role in this carpal tunnel thing. But it was, you know, it obviously caught people's eye. And he was okay handling that. You know, he was seemed all right to talk about it. Um, and he's been really good. He had a maybe a I think one day was like three out of four starts, kind of maybe late April, early May, maybe when he he struggled. And then that's sort of when the the injury stuff started to happen. He had this like wrist thing and the numbness and all that. Um, but he's been excellent since then. And yeah, I know th- there's that narrative that he doesn't like pitching against the Yankees. And and in the time that I was covering the Yankees, I saw him get shelled by the Yankees a right. few times. I also saw him dominate the Yankees a few times. I, we, I, I we choose not to remember think. those those times. Right, right, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, I, I just don't buy that 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 he's scared to face the Yankees. I, I honestly just don't see anything to suggest that's correct. Um, I mean, stuff has come up, and he's had bad outings, and, and you know, the game when his hand went numb here, and I mean, he just he could. It was very clear watching him that something was wrong. And then he comes out after that inning, and it's like, oh, he's afraid to, to face him. Well, you can tell why. I mean, something's going on. I don't. I mean, I, I can't vouch for that. He's his fingers really did go numb, and he couldn't feel the ball. I, I don't know that, but that's why that's how he explained it. And just from the way he was throwing, something was off. I mean, that that, that just was not him. If nothing else, Price can throw strikes, and he's all over the place. So something went wrong that day. I don't think that was about nerves or about being afraid of the Yankees. I, I think it's just the way that played out. So I, I really don't think that that's a factor, but it certainly has happened enough times and it, that it has created a narrative um, <laughs> around him. And, and the fact that he hasn't been very good in the playoffs doesn't help. I mean, that, that adds to this perception of uh, a guy who, who shrinks from the, from the, from the spotlight. Right. Uh, but he pitched well out of the bullpen in the playoffs last year. So, uh, uh, you know, who knows? He, he's, he's been a much better pitcher this season and a much easier guy to get along with this season than he was last year. And Portello seems like, uh, like I said earlier, he's he's kind of regained that form he had two years ago last year. Yeah. You know, maybe it was an anomaly. Maybe it was, I don't know. You look at his career and it's hard to tell who he is really. Um, but it seems like this yeah, year, no, I, yeah, it seems like this yeah. year he's well, definitely right pitching now, better. Really, yeah. The, I mean, the, the, the side year is the anomaly. Right. In his career. Yeah, it's true. I mean, he, true. he had never been that pitcher. He'd never been, he'd never been like a bad pitcher, but he'd never been that. And then, and so last year it really felt like, okay, maybe it's just that, that 16 was sort of an outlier and, and this is more what he is. But this year he's been really good. And, um, and he's been good partly because he's, I think last year it seemed like he got too heavy in probably trying to get away from, you know, the way guys are swinging now, it, it really feeds into it. It's guys are the new launching stuff is really almost designed to beat a pitcher like Rosello. You know, he's working sinkers down. These guys can now just going down and getting that ball and hitting it up. So he's trying to do the, you know, the four seam thing that we see so many relievers doing now where he goes four seamers up, but that's not his bread and butter. It's something that he can do, but he's still got to be able to work down. And, and this year he's been so much better at, 
at mixing pitches up and, and, you know, he's using his little slider cutter thing again. He's, yeah, he's going a lot of curveballs. His changeup has been terrific. And he's working all those pitches down in the zone along with the sinker. And then he will occasionally go up, you know, up in the zone with the four seam. And that's just made him a much, a much better pitcher where he, he has a lot more weapons to go to. You know, he's not purely a sinker ball guy, which I think at times in his career, he was, you know, pretty heavy on the sinker. But, uh, but he's, he's now a guy who can kind of mix it up a little bit more and, and is sort of able to get away from the sinker without necessarily pitching in a zone where it's going to get hit out of the ballpark. All right, talking the last one of the last things before uh, before I let you go here is this Hanley Ramirez situation yeah. <laughs> with with uh, you know uh, fake news, real news, who knows what what's what anymore. But you know we saw obviously all the all the uh, the reports of, of Hanley being under federal investigation. Uh, there were I think there were talks of murder and like you know drug mm-hmm. dealing yeah. and all sorts of yeah. in, in crazy things. Um, I'm sure Boston fans got flashbacks of uh, you know Aaron Hernandez type. Uh, storylines yeah. was this did any of this have anything to do with him being released from the Red Sox and what's the I don't know what's what are people talking about as far as Hanley Ramirez up in uh, the Boston area well it's funny like before it came out and I think most outlets here were the same way we started hearing about it at the app like there was some like rumors that something was going on so we've been trying to track it down you know talk, talk to police trying to find reports of this stuff, trying to talk to people in baseball. Have you heard this? Have you heard this? And, mm-hmm. and you know, we had a few people who had heard it, but nobody had anything. It just felt like this, like, rumor that was bouncing around. And then, you know, the, the, the reporter came out and weirdly was only doing radio interviews, didn't ever write a story about it, just was doing radio hits saying what all she'd uncovered. And then, of course, then the Globe had the, the big story on, uh, I can't remember when it was, Sunday maybe? Um basically saying that, look, what happened is this guy got pulled over, had drugs in his car, tried to claim somehow knew Hanley, mm-hmm. claimed that it was Hanley's and, and, you know, FaceTimed him, I guess, during the traffic stop. Um, all of that seems very odd. But the, I mean, the police are saying that Hanley basically was like, yeah, no, not mine. And yeah, you can check whatever you want. <laughs> and, and they end up checking it and it's, and this guy apparently came out and said that he was just trying to get out of getting in trouble. So it, it may be nothing, but it also may be the kind that that is the kind of event that could stir a bunch of rumors of something happening. You know, I mean, there was this weird drug thing that Hanley's name did get dragged into. I, I mean, it's weird. Um, it's very strange. I, I don't. It's very, very strange. And, and usually, when something but, like but, this, I mean, even it could be nothing. It could be some guy just throwing right. another name, or it could be smoke. And oh, you know, sure, there's sure. there's no, something it be, it, it, now it's being covered. It yeah, it absolutely could be something, but it's just based on what we know now. It's mm-hmm. not like if this is all it is. There, there's there's nothing. And I mean, believe me, people are still trying to figure out if there's more going on here. And there's just I mean, we haven't been able to find anything beyond this that says that it's more than what it looks like on the surface. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and so it, it seems like just this crazy coincidence, and it all happened basically right after he was released. Right. Or right after his DFA. But again, that's another thing that, that caused some weirdness is the initial report said that, that this whole arrest coincided with Hanley being released, which is technically true if you go by the release date because it's coming from a news reporter who doesn't understand that Hanley was DFA'd a week before that. 
and, you know, doesn't understand that that means the, the player move happened before the arrest. Right. You know, so, so it looked like on the surface that it was all connected. Like, okay, this arrest happens, and then a couple of days later, Henry gets released. Surely that's not coincidence. But really, he'd already, for all intents and purposes, been released, and then all this stuff happened. So it doesn't look connected. It, it Certainly the Red Sox and Major League Baseball and everyone that are all saying it has not only is it not connected, but they have no reason to even think that any of this is true. Um, so it may just be just another weird moment in the weird life of Hanley. Hanley being Hanley. Being Hanley. Yeah, 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 right, yeah. Uh, it's yeah, funny because you think you think that his camp would try to be like wide open with things just to say things because it's obviously affected, you know, his his opportunities in playing baseball right now. It's I, I'm I'd say it's a surprise that he's you know nobody picked him up uh, for the league minimum yeah, to, to help out. By that too, he he wrote on Instagram that it's been his choice that he wanted to go home and and spend time with family and that and again that may be true too. I mean, again, he, that's what I would say a, too if I didn't get any phone calls. Yeah, 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 sure, sure, yeah. Completely, I, I completely agree with you. Um, but you know, you also yeah, I mean, you look around at the market. You know, Adam Lynn shoot was, you know, sticking around with the I think he was with the Yankees for a little while, wasn't he? I mean, you yeah. know, these guys who are, you know, power hitting first base types, there's just not a great market for them. I mean, Mark Reynolds coming off a great year, I yeah. the minor league, the Nets, so, you know, it's, uh, it's just maybe not a, a market that lines up very well for him, and uh, it could be that he either genuinely doesn't care and it's just like, eh, I'm done anyway, or, you know, read the tea leaves correctly and decided not to go after a job or went after a job, found nothing and was just hanging out at home. I, I, I don't know, but there's nothing, there's nothing here with this drug thing that makes me think that, that makes me say with any degree of certainty that it's related, you know, it's that right now the, the everything lines up that it's just this weird coincidence and this just, truly bizarre moment um but obviously that's pending you know you, you keep wanting to try to find out more because it is just so weird it's just another day in the life of hanley ramirez yeah sure sure yeah <laughs> chad thanks so yeah. much uh definitely appreciate you coming on uh this is going to be it's definitely gonna be a fun weekend uh we have a big event actually on friday night so it'll be 300 oh, cool. of us right. in right field um nice. and uh yeah it's going to be a good time and these 13 games definitely are going to be uh, a big determining factor yeah. in the ALS. Yeah, thank you for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I think we came into the year expecting a two-team race, and, and we've definitely gotten that. All right, if you want to follow Chad on Twitter, he's at Chad Jennings 22 Again, uh, the Red Sox reporter for The Athletic. Again, thanks, thanks, Chad. Appreciate it, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. My pleasure. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off. 
at MVMT.com.